0: Great to have you with us. That was, that was some quiet musings there. I wasn't sure whether to leave you in deep thought or whether it was just a little bit too deep and to salvage you. Uh, great to have you with us. Um, if you don't know me, Stuart Hunt's my name. I've been on holidays, as Ollie said, first Sunday back, and it's been, been great to get back and, and see all your friendly faces again. I trust you had a nice break. Um, we sometimes do this. Let's, let's do it again. Who went the furthest over summer? Okay, who got out of Melbourne? Let's, let's start easy. Okay, who got out of Victoria? Now, not so easy this summer, uh, actually. That was, okay, who got out of Australia? Oh, a few hands left there. Okay, Asia Pacific? Beyond? Uh, okay, what are we up to? three? Michelle, where did you get to? Oh, the US. Oh, oh. and who was who there? There was another hand over here. But Malaysia. Oh, I think Michelle might be here. And and Lauren too, oh, wow. Where where in the US did you go? Somewhere wintry? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, I actually wasn't thinking of the link here, but but there is a a little bit of a link. I was was actually going to tell you, um, I went to I went to Greece, which I know sounds really elaborate, doesn't it? But it, it, it's winter. It's winter there. It's snowing in Athens. Um, it was it was very very cold. A very very short trip. so short that I didn't have jet lag there, and I didn't have jet lag back, for which I'm I'm very very thankful. Board meetings, most of it locked away in a room and discussing all all sorts of all sorts of things. But it was great to great to do that that trip again. So maybe actually inadvertently, I got I don't know is the US further than get out of globe we'll, we'll have a yeah <laughs> we we'll have a look at that um, but it was um, it was a big big summer break for us also got Joel wedded off to to Virginia Zacharias now Virginia Virginia hunt so that was a successful yes married another one uh, that was that was fun um, and uh, a busy summer so hey can you believe it we're back into it twenty twenty is, is here and if if you were thinking about the year 2020 and thinking oh you know, vision, eyesight—that's what we all want. 2020 vision, right? You're probably not the first church or Christian organisation to think, "Hey, this would be a good year, wouldn't it, to refocus, to have 2020 vision, to to be able to see as God would have us see? Whether that's to be able to see to see God in in all truth and all with with clear vision, or to to see ourselves, to see. To see ourselves as as God sees us, to see one another as a church as God sees us, but to have but to have 2020 spiritual vision, that'd be a that'd be a great pursuit, one which I think would be worthy of of our year this year, and so with that in mind, I wanted to do a little bit like I do most years, but again a little bit different, and that is to have a look at our look at our vision. As you you may or or may not be aware, our vision statement here at Vine. Vine Baptist, it's it's probably going to include the vine, right? You probably know that. It's it's behind me. Um, John 15:8 is actually the verse we we get it from. But Jesus says, This is to my father's glory, that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. Now you might say, Hey Stuart, it doesn't say disciples there. Very embarrassing. I'll explain that in a minute. We'll come back to that one. Okay, why why does it have the word abide there? But it does come from John 15, and our vision statement is actually just reworked a little bit, um, and it goes the opposite way. It says, as abiding disciples of Jesus Christ, we desire to live fruitful lives so our God is seen for who he really is, which is a little little way of talking about his glory. As abiding disciples of Jesus Christ, we desire to live fruitful lives so our God is seen for who he really is. thought it would be good to just kind of kick, kick that off this year and to, to talk about that again. Um, a little bit. When I was in Greece um, I don't, I just don't sleep, I don't look forward to these trips. Um, It sounds wonderful, doesn't it? I don't sleep well on planes, I actually feel like incarcerated in a little seat in economy, stuck there. It's easier to feed the person next to you than it is to feed yourself, you know, it's, it's not glamorous and I don't sleep well so I usually arrive pretty grumpy and, it, and, it, and it, you know, it's a bit of a test of my, my sanctification. Um, fortunately, I was sharing a room with Ross Henson from, from our church as well. He gets back tomorrow, I believe. Um, but I was sharing a room with Ross, and, and he's pretty easy company. And, and I remember this. Um, he'd arrived a little bit earlier than I had, so he'd already adjusted. His, his flight arrived two hours before mine. Um, so he'd already adjusted to the time zone. And I remember at 9 o'clock that night, I felt really good about the fact that I'd stayed up that late, and but now fatigue was hitting me, and like a garage door closing, so was my consciousness. I was already in bed, Ross was on the phone, and I remember these words, so you want Stuart to take a workshop tomorrow morning, and with that, I went to sleep. Woke up the next morning, what did Ross say last night in that phone call? You know, who, where am I, who am I, where can I get coffee, and... Why is Ross in the room? You know it was kind of that moment of awareness, and didn't that's right I'm in greece didn't he say as I went to sleep, Stuart will take the workshop tomorrow morning and I checked with with him and, and sure enough, it was a two hour workshop in about an hour's time, and so I remember kind of thinking. This is problematic because there's a free breakfast with this, and I really, really liked what they had there. But I think we can tie the two in together. I think I can have breakfast with Jesus and have a chat about what it is that I'll be doing in in an hour's time. It might have been two hours' time. And uh, I sat down and I thought, Lord, when you get these sorts of surprises, usually you've got a plan. What is it? And I had it. And I sort of thought, you want me to talk about identity, don't you? And so I sat down with the Hellenic Ministries team, and for two hours, we had a mini missions retreat um, with the whole team. I took them on retreat. Um, we pretended that their cozy little office was a log cabin, that Jonathan's office was a fireplace, it was, um, and that all of a sudden, all of the worries of, of winter were far away from us as we had our little missions t- retreat. And I zeroed in on this, this, this aspect, and I said, so far this is a mission agency. I'm talking to cross-cultural missionaries here. And as I was chatting with them, I said, why is it that so often we tend to think our evangelistic efforts fall far short of what they should? We, we feel like people are not hearing our message. We feel like we are not reaching the least reached peoples of the world. We, we sometimes feel like enough is not enough. What is the problem? And particularly in the West, are we actually gaining ground as churches and so forth? And with all of those questions, by the way, with all of those questions can come a lot of guilt. We can, we can answer them with, yeah, we should be doing more, shouldn't we? But but here's a very, very simple solution possibly that I that I spend a bit of time thinking about. Is it possible that God is not seen for who he really is? Because... The kind of fruit that we're sometimes producing at Christians may be a little bit more flesh-born than spirit-born, because back at the root cause, maybe we are not experiencing this gospel of grace as we should, as we should. In other words, as abiding disciples, do we really believe the gospel of grace that we preach? We speak it, we tell people about it, but do we live it? Do. Do we really, really believe, really believe, like the surest thing that we know, the thing that we would not just stake our lives on but stake our eternal lives on? Do we really believe that the grace of God covers us in every way possible, is sufficient for us, not only through this life but to get us home? Do we really believe that? Does it come through in our lives? Does it it produce fruit that feels eternal, not temporal? Does it change the way we live day by day? And and just before you, you're experiencing a little guilt trip here. That is not where I'm going. But do we really understand the power of this gospel of grace? And has it has it transformed our lives? I wonder. Because when we do, I do believe it leads us into a, an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. So, what do we mean by abiding disciples? Let's just talk a little bit about discipleship and, and disciples for a moment. I guess one of the clearest version, verses about discipleship is Matthew 28, 18. Um, all authority, Jesus has just said, has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples. Let me just stop there. We didn't get very far, did we? But hey, you're used to that if you come to the vine. <laughs> go, therefore, make disciples. That means that like a lot of the Christmas presents that you probably just got this Christmas, they don't come assembled. There is, you know, it should be the Christian life, some assembly required. That should, be the, that should be the statement. Actually, for some of us, we kind of feel like, you know, a lot of things come flat-packed nowadays, don't they? Sometimes, I guess, the Christian life feels like, talk about flat-packed. It couldn't get any flatter. I feel like I've got an Ikea key and then sort of iron ore, raw materials. Like, like how, what am I supposed to make out of this? Sometimes discipleship can feel a bit like that. Go make disciples, infers that there is a making, there is a process involved. We need to be made. But then the verse goes on and Jesus says, make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. Now, we often at this point, because we're good Baptists and we know what it means to be dipped, water, lots of it, dipped done let's move on to the other part of the verse which feels a bit more complicated baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy spirit teaching them to obey all that i've commanded now that sounds complex that sounds difficult and it's kind of where we land on that verse and trust me i love that definition of discipleship learning to obey all that jesus has commanded and a quick read of the gospels shows you that jesus commanded a lot and so we've got a lot of learning to do, thus the make disciples, thus the flat pack idea. But we too easily skip over that first bit. Before we are, we are being taught or we are learning to, to put into practice everything that Jesus commanded, firstly, we are baptised into him. Now here's the difference. Baptism, being baptised in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit is about our identity. Learning to obey everything that I have commanded is the practice of the Christian life. Too often we think that discipleship is about the practice part, but practice, no, comes after identity. Let me put it this way. Discipleship is the outworking of your identity, who you are in Jesus Christ, not the effort to gain an identity. Discipleship is the outworking of your identity, not the striving for an identity. Oh, I'm just working so hard so that I can be a good daughter of God or a good son of God. I I just want to strive so I can be a better disciple. No. Um, What does abide mean? Brownie's really good at pushing me on these things and says, break it down, honey, break it down a little bit more. I said, what do you mean? She said, well, that's not my job. That's your job. Just break it down. So, <laughs> so I, she was pushing me in the car this week as I was sharing with her a little bit of what was on my heart. She said, break it down. And I said, okay. Well, for me, abiding is this. It is finding out who you are in Jesus Christ and staying there, remaining there, abiding there. All three English words... Um, in fact, tarry is another one, but that's a bit old-fashioned. But but staying, abiding, remaining, tarry—different versions. We use those different words. All of those four English words capture the essence of the Greek. Find out who you are in Jesus Christ. That's your identity. And then stay there, remain there, abide in that moment. Every morning, I said before, I woke up in I woke up in Greece, and you know, where am I? Who am I? Every morning, wake up and ask yourself, Who am I? You probably know the where, but who am I? Find out who you are in Jesus Christ. Stay in that moment until Father speaks into your life and says, Well, you're my child. You know who you are. You know who I am. My spirit is speaking to your spirit, testifying and affirming that. You're my son. You're my daughter. Pushing to that moment. Know who you are. Find who you are in Jesus Christ and then abide there. Remain there. Stay there throughout the whole day. The ups and the downs and the distractions and all the bits and pieces that happen in your day. Abide in that moment. But identity, being baptized into Christ, being in Christ, identity comes before practice. Sometimes we get that, we get that twisted around and we're trying to practice being a disciple Without identity. Hear me on this. Discipleship, when it is divorced from identity, ends up simply being a cause. When we divorce identity from discipleship, we just end up with a cause. We end up with Pharisaism, legalism. We we end up going down that whole try hard, striving, do-it-yourself kind of Christianity for which Jesus died and set us free. Does it make sense? Identity is central to discipleship. We cannot divorce identity from discipleship. We just, we just end up with a, with a cause-centred Christianity. So Jesus didn't call us to, to strive. Discipleship is about abiding. Find out who you are in Jesus Christ and stay there. Remain there. Abide in that. That's what Jesus calls you to do. Know you're his child, Know the Father's love and favor upon you, relish in the grace, swim in that ocean of love, know who you are in Jesus, and stay there. That's what an abiding disciple is. Easy, huh? Yeah, it takes a life. As I said, make disciples. Flat-packed. Where okay, a little assembly is required. Um, but that's what we mean by by um abiding. In other words, it is not the outworking of, of our identity, it's the, sorry, discipleship is the outworking of our identity, not the establishing of it. That's why we had this phrase last, last year that we shared as a church, learning to walk on earth as you are known in heaven. Learning to That's the practice, learning to walk it out on earth as we are known in heaven. That's the identity. And we've had that for a couple of years. So we looked at the the Gospel of, of Mark, and, and well, how did Jesus do that? And the question was aimed at helping us discover. Well, if we can work out how Jesus did that, that gives us a clue as to how we should do it. Learning to walk on earth, as as we are known in heaven. That was our little little phrase. Um, Bron, um, as you as you know, has an interest in art, and and um, uh, one of one of the things that she does is, is there, are, there are competitions and, and things all over Australia all year round. And she's uh, in her calendar. This is when she's not, you know, pastoral team member, but, but in her happy zone. Well, she, she's happy in that too, but her happy as... No, she's happy. She's, anyway, when she's, when she's in art mode... Um, when she's in the art mode... Um, she, she kind of puts in a calendar where, when the competitions are and she works towards them. There's a fascinating one in WA that she just, just put an entry into and the theme was identity. And you can quickly see why that just grabbed, grabbed her attention. And her piece was, it was quite dramatic. But her piece was, was of um, um, a, a very, like, a, just a dark space. Is it a room? Is it, is it um, um, you know, the cosmos? Is it, it's hard to tell. But in the middle of this dark space is 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 a lone and faceless faceless woman just sitting in the dark and the only light illuminating her her faceless face um is is coming from a from a smartphone device it just you can see the illumination of the screen and it's lightening up her face but there's but there's nothing there there's nothing there and it was some, the inspiration for that painting came from it's a bit a bit sad, <laughs> morose, but it's kind of picking up where do we find our identity from. And the inspiration for that painting came from a Rembrandt, actually. Rembrandt was a master of light, for those, you know, you can correct me who have studied art, but he was a master of light. And he's got a very, very famous painting. It was a, a nativity scene. And you see, you see the manger and you see Um, I I think from memory, it's shepherds and wise men and Mary and Joseph sitting around and so forth. And in this scene, it's a dark stable, but there is light on all of the faces. And then as you study the painting, as you do with a Rembrandt, as you study it more and more, you're looking at, where's the source of light coming from? All the faces are lit, but there's no light in the room. And suddenly you realise it's coming from the manger. The source of light is from the great I am in the manger and so bron, bron um uh, played on that rembrandt's painting with the with jesus himself being the source of light that illuminates and give gives focus and and identifies the faces um, comes from the great i am and and she um called her painting mi a reversal of i am to mi coming um, mean, identity is absolutely key and we as disciples, need to nail down identity and let our practice flow from that. In other words, the, the fruit flows from an abiding relationship with Jesus Christ. And at the heart of that is knowing who you are in Jesus and staying there, remaining there, abiding there. Does that make sense? As I say, I'll just take the rest of your lives to nut this out, but, but we're on the path. Um. Put another way, practice follows identity. Put it another way. Many of you um, probably um, have some sort of devotional life with God. If, if you're in a relationship with him, you know that spending time with him is important. And there's different names for that, a quiet time, a devotional time, a time of meditation. It's time in prayer and opening up the word of God and, and, and nurturing your spiritual life. When you go without that, Do you feel guilty or do you feel hungry? You see, our vision statement says, as abiding disciples of Jesus Christ, we desire to live fruitful lives. The fruitful life is an inner desire, a hunger. It's a, I want more of God. Jesus, I miss you. I have been going it alone for too long God, I am hungry for you. I want time with my Father. It's a desire. It's a hunger within. We're driven towards it. It's not a striving. We purposely, when we thought about what we felt Jesus was teaching, we purposely did not, as abiding disciples of Jesus Christ, we strive to live fruitful lives. Chip Kirk was a a virtual camp speaker a couple of years ago who came to our church and and he was talking about John 15 and abiding. He, he mentioned the fact that he came from Peachtree City, where we used to live actually many, many years ago when I first met Chip. And he's talking about the fact that there are no peach trees in Peachtree City, one of those anomalies. But anyway, he said, "If think about a peach tree, study it. Have you, have you ever thought about a fruit tree? You know, there it is, striving to bear fruit. No, no, you don't see fruit trees bursting to try and produce fruit. It's not a striving. It's a natural result of them being healthy, being in good soil, a bit of sunshine and a, a bit of water, a lack of disease, all of those things. Healthy things grow. Healthy Christians grow. Healthy churches grow. Healthy things just naturally grow. Likewise, we don't have to strive to produce fruit. It comes from, from who we are. It comes from who we are. Identity before practice. So fruit. Jesus talks a lot about fruit in the in the Christian in the Christian life. Um, he says, um, for instance, you will know my disciples by their what for one another? Their love for one another. Yeah, love is one of the fruits of the spirit. In fact, you might say it's the it's the chief fruit of the spirit. It's the it's the mango of the of the spiritual fruits. You know, some may argue with that, but I love mango um but but it's 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 up there it's the champion of fruits is is love um you will know that he's my disciples by their love for one another by the fact of the fruit in their lives jesus also said you'll know a tree by its fruit in that instance he was actually talking about false prophets he's talking about people who prophesy and say things in his name even potentially and it's incorrect it's just not right well, how will you know? You will know by the fruit. You will know a tree by its fruit, he says. That's how you're going to know. And so Jesus used fruit as an example of, of being able to know and to be able to, to discern as well. Um, love, as I said, is the, is the greatest fruit. And so this is actually introducing a little bit of our, our series uh, going ahead this year. We're going to, to jump into First John and some of you might know that, that, that 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John are sometimes known as the, the love letters. We'll come back to that in a moment. But love is the champion of the fruits, the fruit of the spirit. Um, as I mentioned before, we had a very, very successful summer. We got, we got our youngest son, Joel, married. Woo! And they asked me, oh, well, firstly, they gave me the privilege of, of actually um, presiding over the wedding. And, and that's fun, pronouncing, pronouncing your son, you know man and wife not man and wife just but man or wife but but pronouncing them a married couple that's that's very very special and they asked me to speak from first corinthians 13 so i opened it up again and i sort of thought well it's one of the most significant passages we have isn't it on on love i opened it up again with fresh eyes and and just asking well god scripture just never fails to amaze me i know this passage I, I haven't quite memorised it, but I know it pretty well. And I've spoken, you know, from this passage at many, many weddings. What have you got for us today? And and I was amazed again at new, fresh insights. The first thing that struck me was, you know, in verses 1 to 3, where it says, you can have everything. You can have all of this going for you. Yet, if you do not have love, you have nothing. You know, you know that, that first part, it starts out. In fact, it's, it's, you can have the gift of prophecy and speaking in tongues. And, but if you have not love, you're a clanging cymbal. And, and so you can have it all. But if you do not have love, you have nothing. No, nope, it's stronger than that. Here's an interesting thing I discovered. It doesn't say you have nothing. It says you have. Ah nothing Wow that's an identity statement if you do not have love, you are nothing Wow why would Paul say that inspired by the spirit of God because of this I think love as I say is the is, is the chief fruit If you do not have that fruit, if you do not have love, then the reason you don't have fruit is you do not know who you are. It's not you don't have love because you're not striving enough. You don't have love because you don't know who you are. It goes on, verses 4 to 7. Paul talks about all of the attributes of love. Love is... Love is this and this and this and this. It's not that and that and that and that. It's this and this and this, not that and that and that. And I won't go into all of that, the brevity, but you've got the picture. All of the attributes of love, here's a thought. These are God's thoughts on love. This is the nature of love. When God defines love, he is defining himself. When Paul talks here, inspired by the Spirit of God, about the nature of love, he is talking about the nature of God. Because God is love. When we say that God is love, we are correct in that statement. God is love. It's his identity. So when we do not display the fruit of love, the truth is we have forgotten our real identity. I was thinking about mission at the Vine Baptist this year, and I was, I was thinking about the different, different commitments we have to local and global mission, and I... I've been praying about and talking to the Lord about our our, our particular compassion for the poor. And I've been looking at some, some articles and doing some reading on it. And interestingly, some articles about issues of social justice and the poor left me feeling excited and pumped up. And some articles about social justice and the poor left me feeling a bit icky. And I was a bit confused by this, and I, I turned my attention to God, and I said, God, what's the difference? Why do some articles just leave me feeling, I don't know, not quite right, and other articles feel, you know, leave me feeling inspired? And I think the difference was this. Some were addressing practice and left me feeling guilty, and some were addressing identity and left me feeling inspired. Our attitude towards the poor, our engagement with issues of social justice and so forth, I'm convinced, should come not by pointing the finger at the practice, that'll leave us down a guilt-ridden track of legalism, but at identity. In other words, Father says, oh, Stuart, I have such a heart for the poor. They have not the opportunities that you have. I have such a heart to free them and give them my message of hope. You're my child. Would you reflect my heart? That's identity. That's not cause-driven. I believe that that God is is asking us to demonstrate love to him and to one another out of our identity. If If we are striving to love one another, we're going to fail terribly. We'll probably end up actually hurting one another and it'll be miserable. Please don't strive to love me. Desire to love me out of your identity with God. Find out who you are in Jesus Christ and let that just bubble up inside and flow over you. Show me Jesus' love, not your striving, and I'll try and do the same as well. You don't want my striving. (laughs) Believe me, you don't. And so fruit is something that comes out of our abiding relationship it's God's very very nature it's part of our identity and as we look at trying to love one another and be be loving to each other in a loving community we can trust that it won't come from our very best efforts but it will come actually born of the spirit of god but here's the thing and first john is going to lead us down this track love is not just a fruit but it's a sign it's a sign um, John John says in in First John two two six we must learn to walk as Jesus walked and that is out of identity. In verse three twenty three he talks about and this is how we know that we are actually born of God because the very Spirit of God Himself is producing producing this fruit. He's producing the walk. That's how we know that we are truly born of God. Think about this First John, and we'll get into a little bit more of the context next week. But he's the last of the apostles. The church is under incredible pressure and stress. There is persecution. It feels almost like there has not been a a day as dark as those days since or before. This is the outworking of what what Jesus had warned the early church would, would have to go through. Incredibly dark times. Christians were starting to abandon the faith. Twofold on the one hand, heresy was creeping into the church, on the other hand, the persecution was such that they were thinking, You know what <laughs> I had my my life was easier before. um all of the apostles are dead john is john is locked up on Patmos I mean these were terrible times, and it forced to John as the last of the apostles to write the last few books of the Bible revelation stands stands as it as it does alone. But 1st, 2nd John, these are John's letters to the churches to give them a word of encouragement at this time. Now, what might you think he would write about? Hey, hang in there, guys, you know, persevere, endurance. Uh, This is how to tell a false prophet and that sort of thing. And he touches on some of those things, absolutely. But the theme of his letter, we cannot miss it. The theme of his letter ultimately is this, love one another. Isn't that amazing? Amazing. Under such difficult times, John's message is, I want you to love one another. And that love should flow freely from a life which has been born again, born anew, born of God's, God's seed. We're actually going to, going to get into that, that verse because you now have God's very DNA and loving like your father loves is actually possible. That's what a child, that's what a child does. So I guess this year is a little bit of an invitation for us to, to go on this journey together to, out of our abiding relationship with God, finding out who we are in Jesus, identity, finding out who we are in Jesus and staying there, remaining there, abiding there, letting the fruit of the fruit of the Spirit be demonstrated and displayed in our lives. Chief among them is love, and we're going to explore that together. And this to our Father's glory. This is how the world will know that we are his disciples. This is the essence of our witness. Perhaps as we demonstrate love to one another, we won't need so many words because people will know. They will know, and they will not be able to account for the love and the unity that they find in a a church full of saints that are committed to this program, they will not be able to put that down to anything else. So this year, what an exciting year. We want 2020 vision on what does it mean to love. And I think we're going to learn that by, yes, The Spirit of God, as we open up the Word of God, the Spirit of God speaking to us through His Word, but then, as we put it into practice, I've got a lot to learn. And you know what? You guys are going to be my tutors. I could learn so much about love from each of you. I really can. And I'm trusting that by the way I love in return too, I can be your tutor. We've got so much to learn, but we're going to do it in community. And as we learn to love one another genuinely, deeply from the heart, reflecting the Father's love that he has for each of us to each other, as we do that, we're going to learn from each other. And I think it's going to be a very, very special time. Are you quietly excited? Yeah? Would you like to be a better lover? Yeah. And the whole world is waiting to see the results. Life with you, um, God, is always an adventure. We thank you. We thank you for, before time began, singling us out, choosing us, and calling us to yourself as your children, calling us into relationship and, and calling us to in enjoy life with you and we never stop learning and we know that we are still being made as a disciple. Our prayer this year for ourselves and for one another is that we would be good students of your very nature, your character, who you are, that we would learn to love one another deeply from the heart that we would learn to love without reservation, and that we would learn to love not because other people love us back and it's just reciprocal, but we'd learn to love when they don't. We'd learn to, to love simply because we've first been loved. We love because you first loved us. As recipients of love from God, may our love for each other flow from that, regardless of response, regardless of... How that may or may not be received. But would you please teach us to love one another just as you love us? That's our heart. Give us 2020 vision. Show us what that looks like. Take us by the hand and guide us. Heavenly Father, we pray. We want to reflect your father. We your father's heart. We we want to reflect who you are. We want people to say that definitely. That that boy there, he is his father's son. That girl there, she is her father's daughter. May it be so. For your glory. For your glory alone.